This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mildred DeFilippis. Thanks, Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fortaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 134. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Joe. And Stella is not here as she is on a little bit of a vacation for this episode. We are covering the comics and comic book news from March 16th through March 30th. We do have a decent chunk of news to cover, including news from Emerald City Comic Con, which just happened this past weekend. In addition to that, we only have two books to cover and uh, we have a little bit of announcement towards the end of the episode after listener Q&As about the future of the comic podcast. So with that, let's just dive straight into the comic news. What's going down? A couple of different things to go over. The first one is on March 17th. Gotham Spoilers uh, found out that the Absolute Batman Incorporated, which will include Volumes 1 and 2 of Batman Incorporated, as well as the uh, the Batman Incorporated special that released uh, about a year and a half ago, um, that Chris Burnham is actually redoing some of the art for the Absolute Edition. The Absolute Edition is going to retail for about 125 but you'll be able to get it a lot cheaper if you look on Amazon for it. But... Uh, if you remember towards the end of Batman Incorporated, the vo- volume two, there was a lot of stuff that happened where because DC was so focused on books being delayed and them not wanting to have books delayed, if the art wasn't done, they would have a lot of fill-in artists. We still see that in some cases nowadays. Well, as it turns out, for the Absolute Edition, Chris Burnham is actually going back and redoing the art that had to be filled in, which in some ways I think is a really cool thing it makes it a little bit better as the absolute edition gets released it makes it a little bit better as far as the quality of what was meant to be and not what was so i think that's that's kind of interesting but he confirmed that he is actually in redrawing some of the filled in pages that were originally released so if you haven't if you didn't read batman incorporated at all and you have no idea what i'm talking about um, that will be available in december of this year and it's going to be massive because it's essentially including uh, Batman Incorporated Volume 1's number 1 through 8, uh, and then Batman Incorporated Leviathan Strikes, and then Batman Incorporated Volume 2, 1 through 13, and as I said, the Batman Incorporated Special. So it's a, it's a lot of issues. So it's just nice to see that, you know, they're, they're redoing some of that stuff. Yeah, not only that, but it will be oversized as well. So it will not only be new art, but even bigger Chris Burnham art. Uh, I'm upset by this because I'm, it's something that I said before, you know, it would be cool if they did that for the trays, go back and fill in these, uh, get the proper artists to do these fill-in bits, but uh, I might have to get it, and I don't want to, because <laughs> it's going to be a lot of money, but it's, uh, I'll definitely look at it longingly, and uh, maybe as a birthday present or something, I might... I might go in for it, but uh, I'm excited by this. It sounded really cool. All right, and then next up, March 17th, the solicitations for June were released, and among them, there there really wasn't a whole lot of surprises. Really, there's a couple of really small little things that happened. As it turns out, because DC is obsessed with making sure their books are not delayed, it turns out there's a number of different books that are going to be slightly changed. We've heard about this before with Catwoman, and there was some confusion with Batgirl, and we were trying to figure out exactly what was going on. And as it turns out, uh, Batgirl number 30, which is supposed to come out this month in April, is now becoming number 31, and May's number 31 is becoming number 32, and the issue number 30 is actually going to be a fill-in issue, which is going to be done by Christy Marks. Um, in addition to that, Batman Superman number 11 um, is is basically delayed until June, but is renumbered to number 12, and uh, Batman Superman number 10 is actually going to be written by Jeff Lamar. Now, We've had, you know, we don't cover a lot of these books, and there's a reason why, uh, you know, we'll, f- there's a reason why we're talking about this, um, which leads into our announcement later on. But um, Jeff Lamar on Batman Superman, I'm interested to see, even if it is only for one issue. Um, 
And outside of those changes, really the only other surprise that was there was that apparently Scott Lobdell is going to be back on Red Hood and the Outlaws. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, yeah, out of all of them, the only one I'm really interested in is uh, Batman Superman, because um, I like Jeff Lemire. And I've also actually started getting into the uh, Batman Superman uh, comic Um but yeah, I wasn't so keen on the first arc. I think it threw all of us. It was a bit strange, but um, uh, it's written by uh, what's his name, uh, Greg Park, who uh, I've been reading his action comics, which is possibly my favourite comic at the moment. So it's fun to have both his take on a fun Superman and a, uh, a good Batman as well. Yeah, and as I said, the the Batman Superman, the issue that Lamar is going to be on is going to be issue number ten, which is actually going to release in May. The issue that was originally solicited for May is going to be pushed to June. Um, Lemaire is going to be the uh, the writer, and the artists are going to be Carl Kerschel and Scott Hepburn. Um, the solicitation for the actual issue says, In this standalone story, a microscopic threat invades the body of the Dark Knight, and it's up to the Man of Steel and Dr. Ray Palmer to shrink down to eliminate the danger. But what they find will shock you. Get ready for big sci-fi thrills as the high adventure fun as only Batman Superman can present. So, you know, we, we really just we just talked about this. I'm, I'm just really interested to see what Lamar can do with this book. Um, when the when Batman Superman first came out and we were reviewing it all the time, I really did not take too kindly to the series when it first kicked off because. Again, it was kind of like another one of those situations where, okay, we got to tell everything again, even though we've told the same thing a bunch of times. We have to tell the meeting of Clark and Bruce for the first time and all this. But for the most part, you know, I still read the issues here and there. And I think that uh, even if a st- even if it, as a single standalone story, I think it'll be interesting to see what he does. All right, the next bit of news on March 19th, it was announced that Nightwing number 30, which was originally supposed to release this month, in April is now delayed to May 28th. Yes, that's right. Um, we I talked about this a little bit, I believe, on the last episode when we reviewed the end of Forever Evil Arkham War, and I said I think I believe we talked about the fact that Forever Evil number seven was going to be delayed until sometime in the, in April. And as it turns out, it was announced later that the all of the books tying into the end of Forever Evil. This would be Forever Evil number 7, Justice League number 30, JLA number 14, and Nightwing number 30. Um, this is all going to be, all of those issues are now delayed till May 28th. Now, I'm not real sure what the reason for delaying this so long is. I mean, Nightwing originally was supposed to come out, it, it was originally supposed to come out on April 9th, and now it's being delayed basically a month and a half uh, we know that that is, in fact, the last issue, but I, I find it weird that they... One of the main big pushes for DC when they started the New 52 was they wanted to make sure that their books were not delayed. We've seen it multiple times. I just talked about it, that they've had artists fill in for other artists to make sure that the stuff would come out on time. And slowly it seems as if now the time has passed... That's becoming less and less of a concern on DC's part. Um, there has been some books that have changed weeks. Um, there was, because I mean, even when we look at the books that we cover here on the podcast, Batman and Robin used to be a week two book. Now it's a week three book. Um, you look at, you look at some of the other books that we cover, Nightwing and Batgirl, um, and Detective Comics. Detective Comics and Batman have pretty much stayed in their week one and week two spots respectively, but, the other books have all just kind of slowly shifted over time. Nightwing moved at one point. So, I mean, like, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And the biggest problem with this delay is this is really, in in all thoughts considered, th- this is really the first big, real, large event that DC's had. Um, outside of them having their September events that, you know, we had zero year the first one, or zero month the first year and then the second year we had villains month but those that just was a one month thing it wasn't really a giant crossover that took place in so many different books and the fact that they've kind of dropped the ball and they're going to be releasing the stuff a month and a half late without any real explanation kind of bewilders me as to what 
part of the whole New 52 was. Are we looking at a possible another reboot where they're going to say the same thing? Yeah, it's a bit strange that they're delaying Nightwing that long, but at the same time, at least we're not waiting on uh, a conclusion to a story arc or anything. It's going to be... I mean, they could almost have ended the series at uh, when they did and made this a special or a one-shot or something. Um, but I think it's interesting. Did you say that, that all of them are being released, released on the same day? Yes. So that's, that reminds me a bit of when they took the month off and only released uh, Flashpoint number five and Justice League number one on the same day. I wonder if it's kind of ties into it actually having an impact. It'll be interesting if this does lead into something um, and if we're going to get this reveal across all of these books and if they're going to make something special out of it. So, uh, so yeah, it's a bit strange that they're delaying it, but maybe they are doing it for a reason and they want them all to come out at the same time. All right. The next thing we've got is on March 20th, it was announced that Harley Quinn is going to be getting a one-shot, and it is actually going to be a one-shot with her taking over San Diego Comic-Con. You heard me right. Um, Basically, the gist of the story is that she goes to San Diego Comic-Con, and uh, actually just this past weekend at Emerald City Comic-Con, they released the cover for it, and it basically shows her taking out a bunch of cosplayers that are dressed in Batman family costumes. Um, if you haven't been reading Harley Quinn and you feel that the Batman universe is extremely dark, you should be picking up Harley Quinn because Harley Quinn is actually kind of a fun series. It's very reminiscent of uh, Stephanie Brown Batgirl prior to the New 52, um, but obviously Harley Quinn's a villain but it's actually a very fun book. There's a lot of things that they do in the book that I, I think is really amusing. And it's really outside of a lot of the stuff that's been happening in the New 52. So um, one of the things that uh, Jimmy Palmiotti uh, commented on at Emerald City Comic Con is that they've it's basically D, at DC, Harley Quinn is the red flag book, meaning that they can they're letting them do whatever they want without any real hold, without really holding them back. And I think that's that's interesting because we haven't seen that anywhere else. And if you read the reviews from Benjamin Scott over on the website, you'll see that uh, he, month and month out, has been giving the book very high reviews. So I would suggest checking the book out. But come July, we'll be getting a one-shot f- and she'll be taking on San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah, I imagine that this is coming out of the popularity of the Zero issue, which was very meta and self-referential and... You know, I imagine there's going to be a lot of that. There's probably going to be a joke about her meeting other Harley Quinns dressed in the pre-New 52 costume. Um, yeah, it should be fun. All right, so then March 28th, there, to try, there was an interview that happened on Comic Book Resources talking with Will Pfeiffer, who was recently, well, not recently, it was a couple months back, but he was announced to be the new writer on Red Hood and the Outlaws after Tinian was going to be off the title. And... He is known specifically from the Batman universe as he he did a long run on Catwoman pre New Fifty Two, and he's been on, he'll be on the book for about three issues, and then when the solicitations came out for June, it suddenly said that Scott Lobdell was coming back to Red Hood and the Outlaws. Now, if you remember Red Hood and the Outlaws, we did review it here on the podcast in the very beginning when it first came out. Red Hood and the Outlaws was a book that we dropped was one of the first books we dropped because of the very little focus on Jason Todd, but really the overall just utter crap that it was. Uh, Tingin came onto the book and there was high hopes that he was going to kind of try to rectify some of the situations that Lobdell put the characters in. And for the most part, it felt as if he was cleaning up a lot of what Lobdell did, but not really moving the characters along. At least that was my feeling when we reviewed it on the Point Five cast. And now, with a new writer coming on, Will Pfeiffer, you would assume that they're going to give him a decent run. Um, before his first issue even comes out, now they're advertising that Scott Lobdell is going to be on the book again. And I have to wonder what the reasoning behind that is, because the solicitation states that Lobdell is on the book. Uh, now, the interview that was on Comic Book Resources, which interestingly posted right around the same time that the solicitations posted, made it seem as if Will Pfeiffer was going to be the ongoing writer for the foreseeable future. So it's unknown at this point if Lobdell is actually coming on to the series as as you know, doing a, a, a short arc or if he's going to actually be the new uh, ongoing writer. 
But I have to say that if Lobdell is going to be the ongoing writer, it just it does it lowers my faith yet again. Why did they take him off of the book in the first place, only to give him the book back a year and a half later? All right. So with that, we're going to get into the news from. Emerald City Comic Con. This just took place this past weekend. Not a whole lot of news came out of it. Uh, the very first thing was there was a panel on Friday that was called DC Comics All Access. And among the panelists, uh, Scott Snyder, Jeff Lamar, Kyle Higgins, Jimmy Palmiotti, Derek Friedoffs were all in attendance from the Batman Universe side of things. Um, but there was a, a, just a couple of different things. They mentioned some of the things that were going to be happening in Batman Eternal. They said that they're going to be seeing a lot of villains from Batman Incorporated and a lot of villains that, you've, that are from the past that you haven't seen before in the series as well. Um, also, in relation to the Batman Universe, it was talked about that uh, Batman Beyond Universe um, is going. It will have a time jump where Bruce Wayne and Timmy, Terry McGinnis have a falling out. Um, then there was talk about Little Gotham, and he said that the whole idea of Little Gotham was that they wanted the chance to use some of the characters that are unlikely to be used in current Batman storylines. Uh, this is actually the same panel where Palmiotti talked about Harley Quinn being the red flag book. Um, and that was pretty much it. There was no time for uh, fan Q&A, so that was that panel. Uh, the next panel was the actual Batman panel, which also took place on March 28th. And in attendance were Scott Snyder, Dustin Wen, Tim Seeley, James Tenney, and the Fourth, and Ray Fox. They talked a lot about Batman Eternal and talked about what the what, what the uh, what, what's going to be going on in the series, but not a whole lot of super details. There was a lot more time for questions and answers. So one of the questions that was asked was uh, they wanted to, someone asked about the current status of Red Rob and Tim Drake. Uh, Tinian said that Tim Drake is my favorite character in all of comics. One of the stories I've taken the lead on is the Tim Drake and Harper Rose storyline that is going to run through the whole year. It starts off in issue number five. I think when he's going to start coming in front and center. I think he is a very important linchpin to the entire Bat family. Uh, the fact that he just called himself Red Robin out of the gate, that kind of fits because he makes his own way. Um, then they also, uh, there was a question asked if Ra's al Ghul will appear in Zero Year, and Scott Snyder said no, but you will definitely see him in general, um, implying that he'll probably be in other titles. Um, they also talked about uh, some of the more detailed things related to Batman Eternal, and uh, Tinian stated that one of the things he was really interested in finding out more about was things like the Gotham Gazette and what crime writer in Gotham wrote a best-selling book about the Joker, because that book has to exist. Um, then they talked about, at some point, uh, someone asked, what Z-grade villain would you like to reintroduce? And Ray Fox said that he's introducing the Ten-Eyed Man as a David Lynchian villain in Eternal. And Snyder stated that he has a crazy quilt idea. I don't know if that'll ever get picked up, but at least uh, we know that the Ten-Eyed Man will be making an appearance. Um, and that was pretty much the panel. Uh, a lot of talk about Batman Eternal, but not a lot of reveals as far as things we didn't already know. And then the other panel that happened was the DC Comics, the New 52 panel. And among the the attendees were Gail Simone, Jeff Lamar, and Ocenti Scott Snyder. Talking about some of the different things, they talked. Uh, they mentioned a lot of the same stuff that was mentioned the night before. Puccioletto said that he and Francis Manipul's uh, Detective Comics will be less bombastic to what's happening in Batman Eternal. The opening story will have Batman and Harvey Bullock in a race to solve a crime that's personal to both of them. And they're using old characters and introducing new ones, including a biker gang that we're bringing to Gotham. Um, then they talked about uh, Catwoman, and she said that she's Anosenti uh, said that she's expanding her turf, developing her crime skills, and we're heading into a race of thieves. An old character named Roulette will challenge thieves in Gotham and around the world, including superpower characters like the Mirror Master, to prove that they're the best. Catwoman will realize she's outmatched, but she's starting to find out that knowledge is power and how she's going to play everybody off of each other. Whether it works or not, we'll have to find out. Uh, when Gail Simone joined the panel, she talked about how Strix is her favorite new, one of her favorite new characters, and uh, then she talked about Silver. Now, the weird thing about her comments was if she, that the way I'm reading the the playback from the reporting, it seems as if 
she's talking about Silver as if she doesn't even know that the comic already released because by our knowledge, the issues with Silver have released have been out for a while because we reviewed them on the last episode. And in turn, there's there's nothing, there's no more issues involving Silver. So it's weird how she was talking about it like that. The other weird thing that Gail Simone mentioned was that supposedly in issues number 32, 33, and 34, she's finally going to be able to write something that she's been asking about to do since the beginning of the New 52. She didn't say what, and she didn't give much away, but she stated that she's finally being able to get to do something that she hasn't been able to do since the beginning of the series. I would love to know what exactly that possibly could be, considering she doesn't really seem to have held anything back. Now, the real obvious thing out there would be, could she be possibly wanting to finally write the explanation of how Barbara Gordon is no longer in the wheelchair, and maybe that's what's happening? I don't know, but uh, if that's not it, I'd love to know what exactly she's trying to do. Uh, there's definitely a lot of things there. Um, yeah, as for the Gelsman thing, I was... When you said that, I was kind of immediately jumped to, oh, hopefully we're going to get an explanation of how she can walk. So, um, yeah, hopefully that will be it. Uh, a lot of things to be excited for coming up, I guess. All right, and with that, that is actually all the news we have. A little chunk of news, um, but we're going to dive straight into our books, and the very first book we've got is Batman the Dark Knight, number 29. A new wing monster attacks Gotham. Wow! And our superhero races to the rescue. Don't miss the thrilling action. Written by Greg Hurwitz, art by Jorge Lucas. Issue starts off with Batman exactly where he was the last issue, where he's falling from the building, trying to get away from Man Bat, and as he's falling he realizes the only thing the only option he has is to shoot off grappling hooks from both of his gloves and between the two buildings and basically be stuck and ripped between these two buildings as he falls back at the back cave alfred uh, is uh, healing and mending to bruce's wounds when uh, he says to him you know maybe you should talk to commissioner gordon because maybe that's the only solution to for you to figure out how to get control of Abraham Langstrom. Um, Batman goes and talks to Gordon, who in turn says there's nothing we can do because uh, Langstrom's influence is too great and we can't go on just a hunch. There's no way any judge is going to sign off on that. So you need to go do your vigilante and figure it out. So Batman decides to go to Langstrom Mansion to confront Abraham Langstrom. And when he does, Abraham talks in... Double Contendras and all this other stuff talking about why Mambat, if he was Mambat, would go after the homeless people and explains the reason why they are, he's feasting off, or Mambat would be feasting off of the homeless people is because the homeless people are, one, not missed, but also they don't contribute anything to society. Batman leaves and goes to Kirk Langstrom's lab to talk to him and says, listen, I, you know, I should have believed you, but I didn't, and I need you to help me. I need you to help me, you know, take down your father. Uh, back at Abraham Langstrom's mansion, we see him mutating into Manbat and going into the skyline. At the Hill Homeless facility, we see a number of people um, camped out for the night when all of a sudden Manbat bursts through the wall and starts to go after starts to go after the homeless people. A man wearing a poncho and a beard and a hat. Uh, tells everybody to go into the cafeteria because the Mambat wings won't allow Mambat to get into the cafeteria. And in turn, Mambat goes after this man. As it turns out, the man is Batman in disguise. And when Batman, when uh, Mambat bites him and starts feasting on his blood, turns out Batman actually has the antidote in his blood, which in turn will turn Mambat back into Abraham Langstrom. And as it turns out, it works, and the police come and get Abraham Langstrom. At the trial, they find, uh, they, the, the jury finds the defendant not guilty by reason of temporary insanity. When he comes out of the, when he comes out of the courthouse, he's talking about how, you know, I've got an umbrella policy with a cap of 30 million. Uh, let them sue me if they, if they're going to, but who's really going to, uh, who's really going to sue me? Uh, the people, you know, there's, how do you assign worth to people who don't contribute to society? 
Um, he walks away after a little girl says, you killed my dada. At the end, there's a narration that sh- that plays in the background of, of Abraham Langstrom getting dressed and talking about the different ways he's going to possibly suck the blood out of the city and remove the bad elements. And as it happens, uh, we see Batman watching out over Gotham, and that is the end. All right, Batman the Dark Knight, number 29. So... The, the first thing I want to talk about is, I could have swore, this was months ago, and I don't remember when it changed, but I could have swore months ago that Ethan Van Skyver was supposed to be doing this final story arc. He had a couple months off, and people were asking him what he was doing, and he said he was working on Batman the Dark Knight, he was working on the final, the final story that was going to be featuring Manbat, and here we have this issue, and it's not Ethan Van Skyver's Jorge Lucas. I find that a little interesting, but... I wanted to know if the art was, if the art harmed the story at all, in your opinion. I was definitely surprised. I, I didn't even think to look at the cover where uh, Ethan Vanskyver isn't even credited as an artist, especially as the first uh, five pages, I think, are him. So I was, oh yeah, this is him doing the work that he said he was going to do and then turn the page and, oh, hang on a second, uh, check the credits and, and realized. I was disappointed. Uh, I'm not always a huge fan of Ethan Van Skyver. I think some of the stuff he does is very nice. Um, other times I can take it or leave it. What I was disappointed about is I have liked some of the... Uh, I'm not sure how he... Uh, Jorge, I guess. Um, I've liked some of his stuff in the past. Um, he did a backup in the Detective Comics uh, fairly recently, which I did really like. This felt really rushed, and I wonder if it was a quick get it done, we need someone just to do this. And uh, that's he got called in for it. I mean, I obviously don't know, but that's what it felt like. It was very strange art. It's, it looked like someone spilt ink all over it. There was just loads of splashes everywhere. And yeah, it, I don't think it necessarily affected my enjoyment or lack of uh, of the story. But it definitely was noticeable and confusing just expecting one thing and getting something very different. Yeah. I think the the biggest problem that I had with this was the fact that I was expecting Ethan Van Skyver. They hyped Ethan Van Skyver as the artist for a couple months, and you know, with the series, this being the last issue of the series, and this it, this is it. I mean, there's nothing else after that. This this was the last issue. I think it's kind of a letdown that even the last issue and the fact that they made a big deal that Ethan Van Skyver was coming back to do these issues. I think it's is. It, it doesn't necessarily affect the story for me, um, but at the same time, I feel as if they're, it's, it's basically saying, well, you're, 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 the series is canceled, so we don't really care. And that's, that's the kind of the, the feeling I get from this is because, you know, here we are, the last issue, and after five pages of art, suddenly it jumps to a different, completely different artist, which doesn't look anything like Ethan Van Skyver's first five pages. So I think that's a letdown in that regard. Now, as far as the story goes, I I don't think that... I almost feel as if this would have been one of those stories where it deserved to have three issues. Um, I feel like they wrapped up this Abraham Langstrom thing a little too quick. They introduced him in the last issue. This issue, he basically is confronted by Batman, and then it's wrapped up. And it, it just felt like it was wrapped up very, very quickly, in my opinion. I wanted to know if what you thought of how they wrapped it, the story up. Uh, I don't. I can't see an extra issue coming out of this. Um, I, I agree that the introduction resolution was very quick in terms of here's a character. Okay, that's dealt with. End of series. But I don't think that the story they told could have been expanded. Um, I mean, maybe they could have done like a bumper size. This is the final issue. So they'd be able to get a bit more story in there, jack up the price for the last issue and kind of celebrate it a little bit. Um, but I, I didn't really see any more story in it. But I do agree that perhaps just in terms of new character resolution, that went a bit quick. Yeah, it's not so much that I feel as if they could have gotten another issue. It felt like just the story itself was just really quick. It felt a little forced in some regards. It almost feels as if there there should have been a little bit more to the story, but there. I mean, it's not shown in these pages. It just feels as if there should have been more to it, but there's not. All right. So with that, I, I don't really have anything else to say about this issue. For the most part, 
I, I feel as if, you know, this story, the, the series Batman the Dark Knight, I think has told some decent stories. Um, this is not going to be one of the most memorable stories from it. And I think that in some ways, because the series did focus on, well, at least ever since Greg Hurwitz took over the series, the series has focused greatly on the villains and building up villain stories um, and classic villain stories If that or to that um, within the pages of the series. I think they, that that element it was really good because a lot of times in a lot of the other series, we see other villains, you know, newly created villains that sometimes work, sometimes, most of the time they don't work. Um, but this one, they stuck with, you know, classic villains for his entire run. And I think that for the most part, I think that he has done a really decent job. Um, I'm not going to judge the, the outcome of this last story, uh, you know, as the basis of the entire run, but I think for the most part, Hurwitz did a decent job. Um, and in, in some ways, I think that there's a lot of other crap out there that they could have gotten rid of instead of this but uh, you know I understand you know they're with creating four additional bat books per month with Batman eternal you know you've got to you've got to thin it out some way and so instead of eliminating a book like Catwoman which has been really bad or Red Hood and the Outlaws which fails with any sort of real direction they had to eliminate an actual Batman book and for that I you know I I, I praise them for actually acknowledging hey we don't really need to have 10 batman specific books out there but at the same time it's sad to see something that's not bad quality get taken down yeah i agree i definitely think the premise of the book was really good um you know focusing having actual stories focusing on a villain because often the sort of villains that were being focused on in this were often bit parts in larger story arcs. so if you ever wanted to say oh, i really want to read a, a scarecrow story you'd have to kind of find pieces, bits and pieces, whereas he offered up a, a, a decent story where you can you know, have a full arc of, of that character. So it was good for that. But uh, I, I definitely agree. I think there are too many bat books out there at the moment. And, um, you know, it, it, there probably could have been a different one to go. Uh, you know, as much as, I mean, maybe even Batman and Robin... I mean, some of the stories that they're starting to tell do sound kind of interesting, but the fact that it's called Batman and Robin and there is no Robin is a bit strange, so there could have been other titles to go, but yeah. Alright, so with that, Batman the Dark Knight number 29, I'm going to give a total of 2.5 out of 5 batterings. I agree, 2.5 out of 5 batterings. Alright, so it's going to give Batman the Dark Knight number 29 a total of 2.5 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next and last book, Batman and Robin number 29. Never underestimate the power of teamwork, my friend. Batman and Robin, number 29, written by Peter J. Tomasi with art by Patrick Leeson. The hunt for Robin begins. The issue opens with Batman deep under the ocean in a sub, tracking coordinates left by Damien to find the island where he was born. Batman discovers the remains of Damien's former teachers chained to the ocean floor when he runs into Aquaman, who is investigating whales' distress signals. Rachel Ghoul, who is on the island, discovers Batman's presence and sends scuba guards to attack, whilst Rachel sabotages the base and makes a break for it with Talia and Damien's bodies. Batman and Aquaman take down the guards and make their way on land, battling man-bats and armed guards as they go. Aquaman finds the whales dead, bursts open from more of Rachel's super-hybrid super soldiers. They find the base as the files are being destroyed, and Batman presses on to get Rachel when he's faced by a room full of mutated Damien clones. Despite the shock, Batman takes him down and just manages to grapple his way onto Raish's jet. He can't hold on, however, and Aquaman catches him just before he hits the jagged rocks below. We then cut to London, England, where Batman has met up with Wonder Woman as he needs a ride to Paradise Island. So the first thing I was kind of wondering is, um, how do you feel about this story kind of continuing on almost directly from Grant Morrison's kind of epic seven-year, this-is-his-story and it, it kind of wrapped up in a cyclical way. How do you feel about that story being continued in this book? You know, at first when it was solicited that this was going to be the next story arc, The Hunt for Robin, I was kind of hesitant because it does kind of undermine the conclusion that Grant Morrison had with Batman Incorporated and his entire seven-year story. Um, but that being said, 
in there's another part of me that really wants Damien to come back. And if Ra's stealing the bodies of Ra, uh, Damien and, and Talia to get them into a Lazarus pit so that he can bring them back, I'm I'm okay with that in some ways because I think that Damien coming back could present a lot of new and interesting stories, especially if they hold true to um, the Lazarus of, Lazarus pit effects that we've seen in Red Hood and the Lost Days where when Jason Todd was put into the Lazarus pit, he came out and he was a little psychotic and he had to basically like be retrained to not be so crazy. And even so, he's still a little crazy. I think that that could be a really interesting element, but it does seem a little soon. I mean, it's only been just under a year since Damien was killed in the pages of Batman Incorporated. And here we are doing the hunt even if this lasts for, I mean, we know that this month it was Aquaman, we've got Wonder Woman, and then we've got uh, Frankenstein, and we also have uh, Ra's al Ghul in June, as it was solicited, that Batman's teaming up with. It's, I don't know if the last issue of this story arc is, is the one with Ra's al Ghul, um, but there's also talk that, uh, we talked about last episode where Peter Tomasi said, there's some specials coming out in July for the 75th anniversary of Batman, and the one of them is something that he's working on. And I have to actually wonder to myself if one of the things they're planning on doing is bringing Damien back during this, you know, you know, as an oversized issue, and maybe that's part of the reason why the series was never canceled was because they always intended to bring Damien back at some point just down the road. Um, you know, we saw, you know, it was, it was like six or eight months after Damien died that they started the Damien Son of Batman miniseries by uh, Andy Kubert. And, you know, so that was kind of keeping Damien in your, in your mind if you weren't thinking about him. So could this be just a, you know, a ploy to bring Damien back completely? I don't know. Do I think that it, it undermines Grant Morrison? In some ways it does, but I think that, if anybody's going to do it, I think Peter Tomasi is one of the few people who should, um, because even when he started writing Batman and Robin with, at the beginning of the New 52, he was still holding, I mean, he was basically working a lot on stuff that Grant Morrison had previously established in his story. And for the most part, my qualms about Damien acting the way he did at the beginning of the New 52 aside, I think that the series itself is, has matured very well and has done pretty decently as far as telling decent stories since Damien has died, even though there's some elements we don't like. They've, he's done a decent job. So I think that if the intent is to bring Damien back, I'd rather have Peter Tomasi do it than anybody else. But it does kind of make the end of Grant Morrison's tale a mute point. Um, I agree. I, I was very skeptical, very skeptical skeptical about this at the start um just from the solicitations i really didn't enjoy the um the requiem arc the batman going around and and mourning and being very angry um i just, i did I, yeah I, just, I didn't think it was particularly good um and yeah i was a bit worried about you know oh, the, the fact that well most of not only is I really enjoy his his work, but it was very cyclical. It ended kind of at the beginning, so that you could just go straight into the beginning, read over again, and just kind of. And that was kind of the point of the whole thing. It was always those Ouroboros, the circle of life, you know, snake eating its own tail, this ongoing arc. Um, so then the fact that this kind of splinters off of that. But then again, you know, you can always read that separately, and I I actually really quite enjoyed this um i wasn't planning to <laughs> um but i thought it was really well done it makes sense i mean the other thing i was really skeptical about is it's the hunt for robin and as a reader we know where robin is rachel Gore has him and talia and they're using uh what's his name uh lord Deathman, i believe is the name yes. using his yeah his lazarus blood to resurrect them and that's where it ended with a room full of Damien clones. We haven't, I mean, we saw some Damien clones in this um, through the same mutation that we got the uh, the, the heretic in Leviathan. Um, but, 
so I, I'm not sure if this is how close this is, but I, I agree with Peter Tomasi out of all the writers has related his things most closely to Grant Morrison's story. So if anyone was going to do it, it would be him and should be him. Um, but I think the story that they're starting to tell makes sense. And I am actually looking forward to, I like that scene, Batman team up with the justice league as well. I think that's, it's cool. Um, I actually like, I think Patrick Gleason is fairly hit and miss. I, overall, I like his style, but sometimes I think he's one of those artists who enjoys drawing some things and doesn't like drawing other stuff. This uh, book was very action based, so that probably helped. Um, and I enjoyed his uh, both uh, Tomasi and Gleason's interpretation of Aquaman and their interactions. Um, so yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to this arc and seeing where it goes. So yeah, that was the other thing: is did you like? Aquaman's appearance in this, did it feel forced or did it make sense? I, I was hoping you would bring this up. I think that overall Aquaman appearing in this series has probably been one of the most seamless partnerships to make sense that we've seen in this in this title outside of obviously Robin. Um, even when we go back last year to the whole Requiem, and that was, and like you said, this is this is another reason why I was really hesitant about this Hunt for Robin, especially when they started doing the solicitations for Aquaman and Wonder Woman. I was thinking, oh God, this is going to be Requiem all over again. And like, it, I didn't enjoy Requiem very much. It had some points that I enjoyed, but for the most part, across the board, I just did not like it that much. The partnerships didn't really there was nothing that really that came out of it if it was only if anything it was really just cementing this idea that stemmed from uh that stemmed from death of the family with everybody in the bat family hating batman because batman's a jerk and that's really the only thing that i got across from requiem this on the other hand you know it made perfect sense of why it was aquaman and not somebody else it made perfect sense of why aquaman would even be there and it was explained perfectly. I mean, like, everything worked about this partnership. The fact that, you know, Aquaman came there because he heard the whales shrieking because Roz has been using the whales' bellies to incubate the cloned Damians, it makes perfect sense. I mean, there are so many things that were done right in this issue that I wish would be done right all the time. And, I'm, and it makes me really interested to see how they do... Uh, Wonder Woman and Frankenstein, especially since Frankenstein did appear uh, a year ago during the Requiem. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, it's rectified the, the mistakes that were made with that. But I think that this was done really, really well as far as the partnership between them. And I think that, you know, it shows that Aquaman, you know, ever since the New 52 started, there has been a focus on trying to make Aquaman more of a badass. And, you know, this this does it does Aquaman well, it doesn't make Aquaman seem like a, you know, a pushover in, in any way, shape, or form, and just overall, I think that this was really, really good, and I'm pleasantly surprised by this. Yeah, now that you mentioned it, um, I agree completely, it just, it made so much sense, it didn't feel forced at all, um, the fact there was no mention of him before either, it was just kind of, oh, what are you doing here? And then they just kind of started teaming up. It makes sense. Um, a lot more sense than the, oh, Paradise Island, you say. Okay, I know someone who knows where that is. Wonder Woman. Um, but I th- I, that even that doesn't feel, it's not too uh, egregious. It, but uh, I think just compared to how smoothly uh, the first team up came about. Um, but yeah, I agree. I'm definitely looking forward to more of this arc. I hope it stays as consistently good as this was. Alright, so with that, Batman and Robin number 29, I'm going to give a total of 4 out of 5 batterings. I agree again, 4 out of 5 batterings. And over on the website, Derek Bowen gave the issue 4.5 out of 5 batterings, so that's going to give Batman and Robin number 29 a total of 4 out of 5 batterings. That is all of our books. Let's start over to John with Bat Books for Beginners.
welcome to another episode of Bad Books for Beginners. I'm that English guy, John, and this episode we are reviewing the very last four issues from Batman No Man's Land Volume 2. I'm going to start with a quick apology. If I sound a little bit grotty, I am getting over a cold that somebody who was very close to me has given to me. In this episode, we're going to be taking a look at Catwoman 72, 73 and 74 and Batman Legends of the Dark Knight. This features a writing by John Ostrander and Larry Hamm and features art by Jim Ballant and Rick Burchett. We open Catwoman with Selina stealing a jewel, which turns out to be a fake. Instead, it's a message from Oracle asking her to return to Gotham. We then cut to a group of men who are told to guard a tunnel. Meanwhile, Catwoman sneaks into Gotham and talks to Batman. He tells her to return to Manhattan. Selina does so, sneaking through some tunnels. There's an explosion, and she comes across the group who are left to guard them. Because of the explosion, they're knocked into the water. However, Catwoman saves their lives, and they all return to Manhattan. It turns out Selina has been asked to steal some discs, who, which is guarded by a group called the Hard Cases. She tries to review the security but is refused entry, and the Hard Cases realise it's Catwoman. Selina sends in a number of gangs to cause a distra- distraction whilst she enters the safe. She gets the discs and returns to the hideout. However, rather than return them, she offers them up for auction. This not only attracts the attention of the Hard Cases, but also Maxi Zeus. Both the Hard Cases and Maxi Zeus try to take the discs from a supposed exchange. However, it turns out that the exchange is, again, just a trick and a distraction, and in fact that the real exchange is taking place elsewhere. However, Selina is double-crossed at this exchange as well, and although she tries to fight to get the discs back, the con woman gets away. Power Play, which is the story in the Legends of the Dark Knight story, opens with Batman coming across some frozen gunmen. He fights some others and is told where Mr. Freeze is. Batman arrives and he fights Freeze. However, Freeze gains the upper hand. But Batman has a contingency plan in that he's overstoked the boilers of the power plant, which Freeze has put next to his ice castle. This causes it, understandably, to melt. They carry on fighting and eventually Batman wins. And the issue ends with Freeze floating away on an iceberg. So these are rather short issues. Again, um, not massive amounts happen throughout, I'm going to be honest. I did enjoy the story of Catwoman. I think John Ostrander is a very, very good uh, storyteller at times, and he can certainly get his characters uh, very, very right. I have been critical of him in the past in a couple of episodes where he's written stories that I haven't particularly enjoyed, but I feel sometimes he can really get them on track, and this is one of those. I think the writing is very, very good in this case. Jim Ballant, I've had a lot of issues with, and again, the same things come up here. He can't draw women to save his life. These are full of ridiculous poses, nonsense positions, women essentially fracturing spines so that they can just show their breasts to people. However, I did actually enjoy some of his other artwork as well that he did, I thought, um some of the characterizations and colouring that he did was actually really, really good, and I liked how he made Gotham look. So I kind of overlooked the fact that he can't really draw women um, because of those situations. Power Play is a nice little story in its own right. The writing is fine. There was a little bit too much overemphasis on some of the sections in the writing, It seemed very kind of Frank Miller where he emphasises over every single word, which is uh, at times rather annoying. I thought the artwork was very nice again. I thought Mr. Freeze and Batman were drawn rather well, and I certainly enjoyed that as well. I think it's very much worth picking up. To be honest, I think all of these issues are well worth 
getting. And overall, I'm going to give them four out of five Batarangs. There's some slight nitpicking with the artwork because of Jim Ballant, but apart from that, I thought they were very, very good. So what do I think of Volume 2 overall? Well, again, I thought it was really, really good. I really enjoyed all the stories all the way through. There were a couple of downsides, such as the Young Justice storyline, but I don't think really that they mar this book overall, and I certainly recommend picking it up. I thought all the storylines all the way through were very, very good. They progressed the story and they progressed the narrative all the way through. And you get a feeling that Gotham is growing and that it's changing. And at the time, at the time, there are a lot of downsides to being cut off. They're halfway through this period and they're really starting to struggle. And that really shows in a lot of ways. We see people going to the Penguin to try and get food and produce and things like that. And that's something that would happen, that they would circle around people who have power. And I think it's really, really interesting to see. It's nice to see everything developing and, of course, the arrival of Cassandra Kane as well. You can't ignore that, which I know a lot of people were very excited about. And a lot of people enjoyed her arrival. And I thought that the story was a nice little introduction. So, overall, I'm going to give the complete volume 5 out of 5 Batarangs. Again, like the other one, I really recommend that you pick these up. They can be found very cheaply uh, on Amazon and on eBay as well, and I think they are very, very well worth purchasing without a shadow of a doubt. So, that's it for this episode. Thanks very much for listening, and now I'll hand you back over to Dustin and the guys. Alright, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Let's get into our listener Q&As. Just a, two different listener Q&As to go over. The first one comes from Derek Bone, and he says, Part of what bugged me with the end of Detective Comics issue was that we never got a reason for why Batman turned Catwoman down. For all we saw, they worked well together, and she'd be more valuable as an ally. So if this rejection is what turns her bad again, then that's just a boneheaded move by Batman. And if that is the reason she turns bad, then we should have gotten an actual reason why he lied to her there. felt like more of a perpetuation of the status quo more than anything. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, we talked about this on the last episode. That that last sequence did not make a whole lot of sense. And I and because Layman's off the book, it's not going to get explained. All we can we can hope to get any sort of explanation is we see it in the pages of Batman Eternal. But even then, if it does turn out to be what we said, where you know this is the beginning of her deciding to go back to the the darker side of the gray area and become this kingpin of Gotham. It's really kind of a bad, bad setup, and I'm hoping that's not the case. And it's and this is that's not the reason she becomes the kingpin of Gotham, but at the same time, I don't think that they that uh, Layman did a very good job of explaining that that ending very well. I guess he didn't explain it, but I liked the fact that it wasn't they didn't get together. Um, I think it just comes out of. I mean, I guess it doesn't make sense when you compare it to things like The Dark Knight, where and all the start of the new fifty two where Batman was hooking up left, right and centre. But um I, I think it's all it goes down to his you know, his dedication is to the city and he doesn't want to spread himself any thinner than he already does. But you're right, it wasn't explained. Alright, and then the other listener Q and A we have comes from Scanner fifty one. He says, Hi guys, Scanner fifty one here. First off, great podcast. My ten month old and I listen to network on our Friday walks. As I mentioned above, I have a 10-month-old daughter. When we told we were told we were having a girl, all I could picture was princesses and fairies. But hey, there are strong female heroes out there too for her to look up to. So for the past 10 months, I've been buying female-centric comic covers for her room. Batgirl, Supergirl, Wonder Woman, and so on. I'm very picky about what I buy. The cover has to be cool-looking. Of course, female have a strong, powerful look, and at least three-quarters of the hero must be visible. I think the coolest one she has is a JSA cover of Liberty Bell by Alex Ross. I've been doing the same for myself, though with the hopes that I get either the artist or writer to sign it later. It's a cool wallpaper now for both her room and her empty third bedroom. My wife is not on board with this idea. My question is, do you do any of you guys collect comics based off of the cover work art alone? Basically, it's to basically to me it's like I'm collecting art and putting it up for display. Like I said, cool looking wallpaper. Well, I'll say this, you know, I don't specifically seek out comics. Uh for the most part I 
I buy all of these, all of the Batman books, even the really crappy ones. And sometimes I'm ashamed to say some of the books that I buy because of how bad the writing is. But that being said, I think that there are some amazing cover art that's that has been done that I wish in some ways DC would turn into poster prints. I do have a poster that's blown up uh, of Batman 655. If you look on that, it's by Andy Kubert. I do have that on my wall. Um, I do have some other art um, on my wall as well. But for the most part, I don't specifically buy comics for the cover art. But I think that there are some cover arts that definitely deserve to be turned into really great posters. Um, I also have a ton of posters when it comes to a number of the different... It's basically the depictions of the Bat family altogether. Um, the hush gatefold where you see... Batman and the entire Bat family. Um, I have that in the poster as well as a number of other things. Um, not just a poster. I have different types of art that, different types of forms of that exact same piece. But then there's also, there's, I have a collection of cover art which was prints by the actual artist where it was nine different covers and they each, when you connect them all together, they all make one big image of Basically, the different villains of Gotham looking out windows down to the ground. And when you put them all together, it's it looks amazing. Um, that's another example of cover art that I think is, is, is was really good. Um, but I would suggest checking that out. But uh, I, I definitely see what you're saying as far as... Uh, you know, using comics as, as wallpaper, I think it's a really cool idea, especially if you had enough to actually do the entire thing. Now, if you're just putting a couple of them here and there as, you know, focus points for the room, I think that's also pretty cool because that's pretty much how I've got my basement laid out with different various Batman pieces all over the place just here and there where, you know, to cover the walls because the walls are not that great looking, but at the same time, it makes the room a lot more interesting when you've got all of these different types of things in the room. Um, yeah, I'm almost the opposite in that I always have to get the standard cover. It's part of my collector's mentality, I guess. Uh, even though I do sometimes look longingly at the variant covers, I, uh, I can never justify getting any of them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I... I'm always extra happy when it is a great cover. Uh, I think, I'm sure you already know this, but if you're looking for some really, really nice uh, covers with female heroes, look for some of the Adam Hughes art. All right, and with that, that is all the listener Q&As we have for this episode. So I just want to remind you, if you want your questions or you want your comments read on the podcast, be sure to email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. Or you can leave your comments in the comment section below the podcast post over on the website, and we will get to those in the next episode. So at this time, we got a couple of different announcements. Uh, the first one is this is actually going to be the last episode that Joe will be joining us on. Um, first off, I want to thank Joe for being around as long as he has. He's put up with a lot of really crappy books, and I can attest to the fact that uh, you know a lot of these books have really sucked over the past couple of years, and Joe has stuck it out since before even the New 52 has started. So, one, thank you, Joe, for being on the Comic Cast for as long as you have. But also, Joe has been involved with a ton of different things behind the scenes. And uh, one of the things that he was doing for a very, very long time was he was actually creating our really cool cover art for all of the comic podcasts. Um, at some point, I have a gallery of... Uh, there were certain episodes where Joe would send me three, four, or five different choices, and I'd pick the best one and use that as the cover art, but I actually have a folder on my computer filled with all of the unused ones that at some point I'm going to uh, show off to everybody because they're some really amazing stuff, um, show some real Photoshop talent. Um, but then also, Joe, uh, if you notice the TBU staff, join TBU staff link at the top of the page on the, the banner at, on the website, Joe actually uh, hand-drew that Batman too. So Joe's got some real talent, and we, we at TBU have been super thankful that he has been with us for as long as he has. And uh, Joe is leaving the comic cast, but is going to be sticking around also behind the scenes. But I just wanted to say thank you, Joe, for being on the comic cast as long as you have. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, it wasn't an easy decision, but with a lot of uni work and that pressure added on top of 
some not particularly enjoyable books. I, I felt like it was my time to part with the comic podcast, but I definitely won't be leaving TVU, and uh, hopefully when work eases up, I might uh, regain some passion and, and come back on, and hopefully I'll be welcome. And you definitely will always be welcome. So with Joe leaving and the launch of Batman Eternal, we have a number of different changes coming to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. So essentially, next episode, we're going to be kind of rebooting the Batman Universe. Um, we're going to be focusing on some of the select books. Uh, we're going to be changing the lineup of the books that we're actually going to be covering, specifically because of Batman Eternal taking up four books per month. We're going to be changing some of the stuff we're going to be covering. So um, as of the next episode, we will no longer be covering Batgirl here on the comic podcast. If you are still interested in hearing reviews of Batgirl, I implore you to check out Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast, or Stella reviews every issue of Batgirl and Birds of Prey and every, every month when she releases new episodes. So I implore you to check that out. In addition to that... Um, with Bat Batman the Dark Knights, as I mentioned earlier, is going to be cancelled, or is cancelled as of this episode, so we won't be covering that. Eventually, when Nightwing number 30 comes out in May, we will cover that, but that, that episode is, or that series was also cancelled, so we won't be covering that. So going forward, the only titles that we will be covering on a bi-weekly basis will be Batman Eternal, Batman, Batman Robin, and Detective Comics. Those are going to be the only books that we're going to be covering um, and also going forward, we probably won't be covering a lot of the miniseries that are released as well, specifically because uh, looking at some of the miniseries that have released, most of the time we always decide to do that. We always decide to cover them if we feel it's going to play into the larger scheme of things. With Forever Evil Arkham War and Forever Evil being such a large event, we assumed Arkham War was going to be a big thing that was going to have repercussions. But as it appears, it's not going to have any repercussions, so it was kind of a waste to cover Arkham War. That, and it was mediocre by by best with our ratings. Uh, Batgirl's being cancelled because the main thing is we're going to be focusing specifically on Batman books. Now, a year from now, when, when Batman Eternal is said and done... Uh, and they release, they start releasing a number of new series that spin out of Batman Eternal or, and things like that. Maybe we'll, 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 at that point, we'll reevaluate what we're covering because then we'll be only down to three books. But at this point, we're going to only be covering Batman specific books. Um, and the specific New 52 continuity Batman books. Um, for now, outside of the one issue of Nightwing that was supposed to release this month that we would have covered, but is now delayed a month and a half. Um, that being said, um, Stella will still be with us, uh, but we will be adding Ed, who you may have, you may remember from the point five cast Ed will be joining us and taking Joe's spot. And, uh, and the other kind of part of this reboot thing is that we are also going to be spinning off bet books for beginners it's no longer going to be on the comic podcast. Uh, you may have heard me say this multiple times in the past, but Bat Books for Beginners has its own feed over on the pi uh, over on the website, and its own feed on iTunes as well. And part of the thing that I feel we've been limited to with Bat Books for Beginners is that we're limited on time because, for the most part, a lot of these episodes that we do for the comic podcast are extremely long. In some cases, you know, we're pushing two hours. There's been times where we've been pushing three hours. And in order for us to make sure that the episodes are not too long, we're going to move... We, we've limited Bat Books, Bat Books for Beginners to be a very specific time frame, within 10 to 15 minutes. Um, by moving it only to its own feed and not on the comic cast, comic cast, we're going to allow it to be however long it needs to be. There won't be any kind of set schedule with it. Uh, Joe, John will continue to cover the books that he's been covering. Um, Batman No Man's Land will still be a focus for quite some time. Um, but this will also allow us to, uh, more of us to be involved with Bat Books for Beginners, kind of guest hosts, kind of give, you know, other, other hosts from the Batman universe, you know, guest on the show and talk about the series that John is actually reviewing in that specific episode. So it opens it up a little bit more than just having John limited to a very short time frame to review four to six books per episode. 
So that's the other thing that the other big change that's happening. So that's one of the, that's a number of different things that are going to be changing on the comic podcast. The main thing is the lineup of the books, uh, Joe leaving and Ed taking his spot, and Bat Books for Beginners spinning off to be its own singular uh, podcast on its own feed. Um, in addition to that, I will say if you haven't listened to the Batman Universe podcast this month. We did announce that uh, the Batman Universe podcast is going on an indefinite hiatus. Um, this is due to uh, a number of different reasons, specifically to the fact that uh, we're looking for some new staff to kind of head up the Batman Universe podcast uh, and to also look, make it a little bit more frequent. Um, we've heard a lot of comments from listeners asking us to make it more than just a monthly podcast. And the issue is with the staff we currently have, there's not a lot of time for us to make it more of a bi-weekly or more of a monthly series uh, set of episodes. So if you're interested in any way, shape, or form in getting involved with the Batman Universe, whether it be through the podcast, which there's a ton of different things going on um, as far as the commentaries. We have specials that we are planning on doing in the future. Or if you have an idea for a new podcast or you are interested in possibly uh, heading up the, the uh, rebooted The Batman Universe podcast, be sure to email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. Also, if you are interested in joining the site and writing for the site, either whether it be comic reviews, which we've talked about a number of times in the past, or if you're interested in possibly writing news on the website as well, be sure to email us and let us know that. So with that, that's everything for this episode. I want to remind everybody to head over to the website for all the latest news and editorials from the Batman Universe. Uh, be sure to check out our Facebook group page as well as our fan page and Twitter and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman Universe. Also, be sure to leave us reviews in iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And as I mentioned, if you'd like to get in touch with us, email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. I once again want to thank Joe for his service on the comic podcast and that is everything for this episode this is dustin and this is joe for the last time and we will see you guys in two weeks well one of you will <laughs> and i will see you in two weeks Have a nice day.